Tonight is a modesty talk. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought about putting that in the group and be like, this is not a modesty talk, but I was like, ah, why? Let's just see who shows up. Um, and so uh, tonight is another one of the themes, and these themes are just incredible. We're going to trace them from cover to cover as we've been doing, and tonight's theme is clothing, and clothing is fascinating. When I first started thinking about the theme of clothing, um, it was actually Heather uh, who, second to the Holy Spirit, influences me most to follow the Lord. She was like, have you studied clothing yet? And I was like, Devil Wears Prada, like, what are we talking about? And she's like, in the Bible. And I was like, no. And she said, it's, it's fascinating. And so I was like, ooh, I want to do it first. And she said, well, you got to do sacrifice first. And so like a good husband, I did sacrifice last week. And so now we're in clothing. And we're going to trace this theme, like I said, from cover to cover. And it, it's just beautiful. This passage that we just read talks about putting on Christ. And when you start to look at the theme of clothing, and then you look at the Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's writings, he uses clothing language in like every book. He's always talking about putting on, taking off, putting on, taking off. And it's not because he was just like, like into high fashion of robes back in the day. Like it was like he really understood this is a major movement in the scriptures uh, of putting things on and taking things off. And it's just so tangible. So many things that we talk about in church land are, are just so ethereal. When we talk about, you know, awesomeness and beauty and holiness, and yes, we can have, the, there are incredible sermons behind those things, but so many of those just aren't nearly as tangible. The idea of taking something off and putting something on is very concrete. It's very tangible, and I think that's one of the reasons that this is so integrated into the scriptures. Uh, the, the passage that Mabry just read, I just want to reread a couple of verses in it. And I'll start in verse 15. Uh, it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we open tonight, I am going to pray over you, and I'm going to pray specifically the first part of verse 15. Jesus, I ask by your blood to the Father, that, Father, you would grant the peace of Christ to everybody who is here tonight, everybody who is listening to this. Lord, we so long for your peace. Our heads are spinning every day, and especially by the end of a day. And I ask that your peace would guard our hearts and our minds as we tonight unpack and cast our cares upon you and come to you with thanksgiving. And Lord, may that be one of the, the first benefits we see in putting on Christ and putting off the old self. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, a uh, little confession. Uh, now, don't judge me by what I'm wearing, but like fashion, by the way, there is no right thing to wear if you're going to talk about clothing. Uh, I was like, it doesn't matter what you wear, people are like, you wore that to talk about clothing? Um, 
And so clothing is, is fascinating. I don't know if you've watched some of the documentaries that are out there. I'm sure most of you have seen, um, most of you have seen Devil Wears Prada. Uh, I know you have, guys. I know you've seen it. Um, and you, you liked it. And so uh, here's what I want you to do, though. I, I just real quick want you to just say, like, to the people right around you, like, your interest in fashion, if you're like, oh, I've been getting like in style or people or, um, well, people's like still kind of fashion-y um, or like other magazines, I'll, I don't know what they are. Um, from like forever, like, or your level's like a zero, somewhere in there, one out of 10, what's your fashion level? And two, what is the last television show or movie you saw that was like all about fashion? And if you haven't seen one, then just be like, I know there's like at least that one show. Ready? Go. Okay, all right. <clears throat> so let's just go, I wanna pick on a couple of people. Let's pick on a couple of people. Let's, who should we pick on? This is gonna be great. Um, oh, Blake, how you doing, buddy? This is great, Blake. Real loud, what was the last fashion show that you saw or movie? I can't hear you very well. I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. You don't really have one, really? You're in a hat business. Okay. All right. All right. I see you posting like Tacova's boots and stuff. Okay. So you're in, your fashion interest is actually pretty high. 12 out of 10 fashion interest. All right, that's great. Okay, Hannah, right here, fourth row back. Movie or show? What not to wear on TLC. Okay, there we go. Great show. That's a great show. Okay. My most embarrassing moment involves clothing, but I didn't have time in the outline to put it in. I know. Okay, really fast. My old pastor, when I first went into ministry, every Monday morning at 8.30 would make the whole staff line up single file, men on one side of the room, women on the other side of the room. This is, I'm not making this up. I'm 22 years old. We're lined up over here. All the ladies are lined up over here. He walked up and down, every person, looking at them from head to toe, men and women, inspecting our clothing. He got to me one day, and he stopped. And he said, those are very interesting shoes you have on there. And I was staring at my feet, and to my horror, drool fell between my shoes. 
The whole staff watched me drool on my feet. The guy beside me lost it, lost it. He elbowed me and said, tell him you like him. And I went, I do like him. <laughs> anyway, I didn't work there much longer. Um, no, it was a great place. You know, so inappropriate clothing is often like a theme in life. If you've ever been to a place where you were like, I'm underdressed, and you were kind of mortified. If you've ever been to a restaurant, men, where you knew like you sit down and you're like ready to eat the food, and you're just getting comfortable and you take your jacket off, and the, the, the head waiter, the chief waiter comes over and says, sir, we did not allow you to take your jacket off at this dinner. Um, that happened to me too. Uh, and so, like, like clothing is stressful at times. It's ju- people judge you a lot of times, like, that doesn't fit right. Um, why are they wearing that? Like, all kinds, you know, the most reoccurring, reoccurring dream of all reoccurring dreams is the inappropriate dress or show up naked dream. All over the world, people hate that dream. I don't know why humans have that dream, but it is, it is an amazing it's, it's an amazing phenomenon that humans are afraid they're going to show up either inappropriate or not dressed. Uh, it's, you know, fashion is big business from Burberry to, to Gucci and Dabana to, uh, to Gucci to now Newly and Rent the Runway and all the things that cost a lot of money. Um, you know, th- if you've ever been to the Paris airport, you walk in and you're like, I didn't want anything, but now I want all the things. Like in the airport, are all the ads for all the stuff. There's baby Gucci in the airport. You're not shopping for baby Gucci at the airport. But the whole thing is like, man, I know that I'm in high fashion land. Fashion is what makes people from like Jackson, Alabama and, uh, and like Ringgold, Georgia and like small towns all over the place lose their southern accent in college and move to LA or New York. Clothing has such a pull on people. And there's a little irony in it. You realize if we'd never sinned, one, we wouldn't have clothes, and two, that means we'd never have laundry? Fascinating thought. Laundry is a part of the curse, y'all. So, here's, 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 here's what we're gonna do. Let me just walk you through this image of clothing through the Bible. And you're gonna, um, oh, sorry, this is first. Let me go to the iPad first. Sorry about that. Yeah, this is, this is clothing through the Bible. And you're gonna think, that's not all of it, and it's not. Joseph's amazing Technicolor coat's not on there. There's a lot of other stuff that's not on there. There's no pictures of sackcloth on here. But I just wanna give you a real snapshot. So the C, the F, the R, and the R at the bottom from left to right. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the, that's the timeline for all of these. Creation's when God started time, made people fall. is when people sinned and fell away from God. The redemption is the story of Christ and his moment in history on this earth. And then restoration is when he will return again. And so Adam and Eve were the first people that did not have clothing until they did have clothing. And that was when they sinned. So Adam was in charge, he was, the, he was the king, he was the priest, and then he sinned, and God sent he and Eve out of the garden wearing clothing that he provided. By the time you get to the Levites, clothing is quite a thing. 
Entire chapters of the Bible are devoted to especially how the priest should dress. Like lots of verses on how their clothing ought to be. And this happens for a long time. And so for a few thousand years until we get to Jesus, clothing is, in, is, is established in every culture as what are cultural norms? What can men do? What can women do? Which can they copy? Which can they not from each other? By the time we get to Christ, though, it's fascinating how many times clothing comes up in his ministry. What's the first description outside of Jesus as a boy that we're given, the clothing that he's wearing. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. The very first description of Christ contains his clothing. The woman that touches the hem of his robe, his clothing is involved. There's a whole nother section that says that people lined up just hoping to touch his clothes and when they did, they were healed. And then, by the time you get to the cross, you see a robe that is put on him where he is like a king. You see him in his, in his priestly garments that are woven from head to toe with no seam. And then on the cross, you see him with nothing. But then at the tomb, you see some clothing left behind. And then this curtain made of cloth is also torn. And, and when Jesus returns up in the top in the white, he be on a white horse and he will have a robe and that robe has described, it's dipped in blood. So the return of Christ, his clothing is described. And not only his clothing, but the clothing of the saints that are with him is described. And, and then the, between the R's is what we've kind of been looking at for our application and that is what we're gonna look at tonight. Between the redemption, Christ, on the cross, resurrection, and the return of Christ, the restoration, that's where we live. And the verses that Mabry read tonight talk about choosing to put on Christ. And so that's where we're gonna kinda land the plane. I do, for all you Bible nerds, I wanna show you all the verses. I'll send them out tomorrow, but um, Ashley popped them up a second ago. If she'll put them back up. Here are a whole bunch of verses, and there's a bunch that are left out. So if you're going to take a picture, great. I'll, we'll, we'll send this out in the group me. But these are, this is just a sampling of the verses involving clothing in the Bible. Without further ado, let's walk through at least what I showed you on the timeline. And so I think Ashley's going to have these verses up, but if you want to flip around in your Bible or take notes, please do. Starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There's no clothing, and this is the only time in the Bible that nakedness is associated without shame. Every other time in the Bible, nakedness and shame are associated together. So this is it. It doesn't live very long. Then we get into the fall. The serpent, verse, three, verse 1 of chapter 3, more crafty than any other beast of the field. 
that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. We don't have time tonight, but that is an addition. That is the first legalism. God never said you can't touch it. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and she ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Verse seven is the linchpin. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Much happens in verse seven. The realization of we're naked. They were, they were so, uh, Jason taught me a term yesterday that I had not heard before, incurvatus in se, which in Latin means this turned curve of inward focus on oneself. They were so focused on God, they didn't even know they were naked. When they fed themselves forbidden fruit, the, the, the focus of their attention and their worship curved and came back on them. And so, of course, they noticed they were naked. And it's also the first instance of trying to, uh, to, to fix our sins ourselves. They sew leaves together, which seems like it's just never going to work. They make their, their clothes themselves. The rest of the passage goes on that God comes to them. God says, where are you? And Adam says, well, I was naked and we were hiding. And the Lord said, how did you know you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? And then it's a sad, sad story for several verses. And the, the, the chapter actually culminates in, in banishment from the garden. But before that, in verse 21, in the first death, we looked at that verse last week in sacrifice. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So in the first covering of sin and shame that really worked, God's hand was involved. There's a hint, a loud hint in chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis that we can't cover our own sin and shame. It takes the hand of God to cover our sin and shame. And that's gonna paint the picture for the whole rest of the coming of Christ in the scriptures. So that is, uh, that's our opening scene. And then in Genesis 37, there's the coat of many colors. That's Joseph. There's also sackcloth is introduced. That's a type of clothing. Uh, in Exodus 28, that's a, a fascinating chapter. That whole chapter describes the priestly garments, the undergarment that the priest would wear, the, the overcoat that he would wear, the gold, uh, the gold breastplate that he would wear with 12 stones on it, one for each of the, of the tribes of Israel, the rope that was tied around him because it was so dangerous to go behind the curtain of cloth to enter into the Holy of Holies. It's, it's a fascinating chapter. Uh, God also talks about taking people's clothes off in the Bible. 
In the, in the story of Hosea and Gomer, in, uh, in Hosea chapter 2, verse 3, God says he threatens to take her clothes off and expose her nakedness. And so there are times, we get this other picture in the Bible, there are times that the Lord will expose you for what you are so that you wake up and realize who you've left and so that's, that's another theme of clothing, the taking off of clothes. Uh, there's a, a warning on the other end of the Bible in Revelation uh, 16, 15, that God says, hey, stay clothed in Christ. There's a big warning to stay clothed in Christ. And that's probably most applicable for a bunch of you. But, but let's fast forward all the way to, uh, to the gospel accounts. Let's go to the Christmas story. Look in Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 and 12. In Luke chapter 2, and this is something I had never paid attention to. I have taught the Christmas story. I have studied the Christmas story. I have been in Israel in the shepherd's field looking at the sights and trying to draw from different guides and books and resources. And I have never paid attention. I have always known that like, yes, Jesus shows up and he's wrapped in swaddling cloths. And I knew what the swaddling cloths represent. It just never crossed my mind until studying this theme of clothing, the significance of that's the first Thing that's said about him. Not, you'll find a baby uh, with like a full head of hair, oh yeah, in swaddling cloths. Or you'll find a baby, not that cute actually, in swaddling cloths, like, or shockingly, like it's a cute baby. It's like a, it's like two out of ten that you're a cute baby. Um, but you can be a cute person afterwards. Um, and so, you know, oh, sweet baby, that's your line. Oh, that's what a sweet baby. Um, and so, I'll stop there. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and she laid him in a manger. And then in verse 14, I'm sorry, in verse 12, this is the angel talking to the shepherds, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The first description of Jesus involves what he's wearing. Then you go to Matthew chapter 9, 20 through 22. That's when Jesus' tassel gets touched. You go to Matthew chapter 17. That's the transfiguration. That's when Jesus' clothes become sparkling and white. And, uh, and then you go to John chapter 19. Turn with me to John chapter 19. The whole crucifixion scene almost revolves around his clothing. And this is fascinating. In John chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 2, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. It's an item, an article of clothing, a crown of thorns. They twisted it together and they put it on his head and they arrayed him in a purple robe. So we're told what kind of crown he's wearing. We're told what color the robe is that he is in. You go to verse 19, when he's actually being crucified. And what does Pilate say? Pilate, 
also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's going to play in to the account when we look at the purple robe, and I show you the timeline again in just a minute. You go forward a few more verses, verses 23 to 24, and I promise if you'll hang on, this is all going to make sense when we go back to the timeline and take a look. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, they divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them for my clothing. They cast lots. That's out of Psalm 22. In the same chapter, go towards the end in verse 40. Jesus is dead now. They're trying to bury him quickly. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with spices as, in the, as was the burial custom of the Jews. Then, chapter 20, a few verses in, verse 4, both of them were running together, they're running to the tomb of Jesus, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. There's so much clothing in the crucifixion account of Christ, there's the purple robe, there's the garments that he's wearing, there's the linen garment, there's a crown, there's linen that he's wrapped in at his burial, there's linen that's left at his resurrection. And to, to round the corner, go all the way to the last book of the Bible, a few chapters from the end, go to Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, 6 through 8, it says... Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. The marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. Listen to it. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Just a second ago in John, we just heard about some linen. They are able to clothe themselves, the bride of Christ, in fine linen, bright and pure. And then skip over to verse 11. And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus, by the way. This is no Jesus you put on a cross. This is King Jesus coming back to reign and to rule. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. There's clothing, that's a crown. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe. There's his clothing, clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. 
And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So this Jesus that we see, the returning Jesus, is in a robe, has a crown, and blood is covered on his robe. And apparently he's got a, for all I know, a crazy thigh tattoo. Uh, and so, like, he is coming back. And then, if you go to the middle of your Bible, there's this weird verse stuck right in the middle in Isaiah, Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt my God. Listen to this. For he has clothed me with salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So let's see if we can go back to that timeline and see how in the world in this theme of clothing, Isaiah 61.10 comes about where the Lord clothes us with his salvation and his robe of righteousness. So going back, here we have, I'm going to try to zoom here. Here we have the first account of people. Now, Adam. Adam is king. Those are birds and mountains, all the same color, and a turtle. Um, and because turtles are fun to draw. I did erase his tail on accident, but he had one. Um, and so here's Adam. He is king when he's first made. He, he's king because the Lord gives him uh, all the earth as his subjects. So Adam is a king. Adam is also a priest. He directly talks to the Lord. Every day, they walk together in fellowship. He directly talks to the Lord. But, when Ad and there is no shame. And there's only nakedness. We all stand naked before the Lord anyway. And he's just showing us there is a way to stand naked before the Lord and have no shame. And he did until they took that inward curve and focused on themselves and became aware of their nakedness. And they sinned and God moved them out of his presence, out of the Garden of Eden, and he killed an animal and clothed them. So you have king, you have priest, and then you have naked and ashamed King, priest, naked and ashamed. By the time we get to the Israelites, the Levitical priests here, God has developed a system for them to follow. There is a curtain of cloth that separates the presence of God from the Israelites and everyone else. God wants to meet with us, but he is holy and we are not. And so he's come up with this system where once a year, the priest, when he puts on all the garments, can then enter into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain and go to the presence of God. All three of those from left to right are laid out in the order of the garments the priest would wear. Clearly, these are rudimentary drawings, but the first one is a full linen garment that is seamless. It's the first thing he puts on. And then the priest puts on the robe, and then he puts on, uh, he puts on the breastplate, and there are many other things that the priest puts on. But by the time he goes in, he's cl much closer to the image on the far right-hand side. And so when the priest is fully dressed, he can stand before the Lord. But it takes these coverings, and the base cover is linen to get to God that he wears. Now, 
We enter the person of Christ. By the time we get to Jesus, we see a fascinating thing that at his birth, his clothes are mentioned. Why in the world would his clothes be mentioned? Because the only thing you wrap in swaddling cloth is a lamb. And the only reason you wrap a lamb in swaddling cloth after it's born is so that it doesn't get injured. The only reason you wrap a lamb in swaddling cloth so that it doesn't get injured is so you can take it to the temple and kill it as a sacrifice to be close to God. His clothing at his birth is a picture of his death. And it's mentioned twice in Mary's description and the description the angels are given. Go look for the kid in burial cloths. And then you fast forward through so much of Jesus' life, but when you get to the scene of the crucifixion, there's a picture of a king. He's got a crown and he's got a robe. And though it was done mockingly, over the top of his cross was written in three different languages, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. So there's a picture of Jesus as king. And then when he's stripped down to just his garments, the base layer being a linen garment woven from head to toe, seamless. The only person that wore a linen garment woven from head to toe, seamless, was the high priest who once a year could go into the presence of God. And so he goes from king to priest. But when they get him on the cross, before he's hoisted up, they take off that linen garment and they cast lots for it. And so how does that put Jesus on the cross? Naked and ashamed. King, priest, naked and ashamed. The clothing of Christ. King, priest, naked and ashamed. He undoes Adam's curse. And the story is told in his clothes that he wears. But not only that, when Jesus stands naked and ashamed, bearing our sin on the cross, the curtain, the same curtains that the Israelites could only go behind once a year with access to God, that curtain made of cloth woven together is torn from top to bottom because access to God is now granted to all because the man himself undoes everything that Adam did and you did and I did to block access to God. But then there's this really interesting thing. The tomb. And when the stone is rolled away from the tomb, and it happens through an earthquake, and all the Gospels have a little different account. They're fun to read, all the accounts of the resurrection scene. Peter and, and John are running to the tomb, and John, in a slightly humble way, slightly flexed way, is like the other one outran him. Peter, John's like, I was faster. John gets to the tomb first. He stoops down to look in, and what does he see? He sees the linen garments of Jesus' burial left behind. And I think that's so fascinating. I wonder if those linen garments 
Because one day the church is going to be clothed in bright, shining linen. I wonder if those were a reminder, and I'm sure the guys didn't get it at that point. I wonder if they were a reminder, though, a little hint from the Lord of one day, you're going to wear linen with me for all time. But right now, you need to put me on every day until that day comes. Because in that day, when the church is gathered with Christ and Christ comes to reign and rule on the earth and we reign and rule with him, we will realize fully what it means to be covered and clothed in Christ. But in the meantime, right now, if you are a Christian, that is the big question. Because see, if you're a Christian, on one hand, you're already covered, you're already clothed. You're clothed in salvation, you're clothed in righteousness. You are clothed, you are good. But the call for scripture, from the scriptures is for you to continue to put on. Because we're constantly pulling and tugging at our clothes and we're constantly looking for the next fashion and we're constantly looking for the next thing to put on or try on or this is old or I don't like it anymore or it's uncomfortable. We're told to continually put off the old self and put on Christ. And so I wanna ask you, what, what is in your closet? You have a closet and every day you reach in and you put something on. Tomorrow, if you have a meeting, you're already thinking of how you're going to approach that meeting. Are you putting on the things of Christ or are you putting on the things that the, the person that told you about the meeting told you to put on? You've got a, a date coming up this Friday. And you just, you, you figure, what, what am I going to put on? And I'm not just talking about your clothes. I'm talking about, like, what kind of attitude are you going to put on? What kind of persona are you going to put on? We put on all the time stuff. And the problem is, most of the time, we don't even think about the things that we're, we're putting on. If you go back to the Colossians passage, I want, to, I want to just encourage you. Verse 12, the first verse that Mabry read, says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, those who are already clothed in his righteousness, in his salvation, Isaiah 61.10. Those who have been clothed in him because he broke Adam's curse and you believed it and you've trusted him and he has saved you. If that is you, then now you have another obligation a fancy term for it is called the mortification of sin. It's time to kill some sins and put on some Christ. And that is the call for all of us. The encouragement here at the end of Colossians 3, or the middle of Colossians 3, is to put on then. And not put on because, as Will said when he started worship tonight, that God's not sitting here with his arms crossed saying, I knew you'd show up, but I'm not super pleased with you. That's not what this passage says. It says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, with compassionate hearts, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience, put on bearing with one another, put on forgiving each other just as the Lord forgave you. And above all these, put on love. Love is what binds them all together in perfect harmony. And so I, 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 want to, I, I want to just 
ask you as you consider, like, what is in your closet? What are you putting on? We know what Christ put on. He put on humility. He, he put on shame. He put on nakedness. He put on scorn from people. We know what Christ put on to deal with us. And so this is not a call to earn your salvation. This is not a call for you to sew some leaves together so you can stand before God. This is a call to proudly wear Christ because of what he's done for you. It's the first song we sang, what he's done. So just for time's sake, I'm gonna stick with the clothing analogy and I'm gonna look at verses 15, 16, and 17 and I'm gonna ask three simple questions. Again, sticking with this clothing theme. Who are you dressing for? When you go to your office, when you go on the dates, when you are, 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 are rolling through your streaming channels, when you are deciding what you're going to do on Wednesday night or Thursday night, who are you dressing for? Who, who, do you, who are you trying to please with the attitudes, with the habits, the behaviors that you put on? Because Colossians 3.15 says, and this is the verse I prayed over you, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Do you know how you let the peace of Christ begin to, to rule in your hearts? You clothe yourself. You get dressed for him. Lord, the people at my office are gonna think I'm crazy, but I'm only dressing for an audience of one. And I want you to be proud of what I'm wearing. You, you, you get dressed for an audience of one, and it's amazing how the Lord will take care of those folks and the other stuff. The second one, where, where does my sense of fashion come from? What, wh who told you that's how you ought to act in that situation? Who told you that's how you ought to respond when they say these things to you? Like, that's your, your, in a sense, every day, your attitudes, your behaviors, you have clothing on. It may not be visible to everybody else, but it's what covers you up. It's what's really covering you up, what's really showing who you are and how you think. So where does your sense of fashion come from? Let me, let me, let's look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want, you want a timeless sense of fashion? then you let this book fill you up. The whole thing is the word of Christ. Do you, do you know how many times I have people ask me questions that I'm like, you just need to open your Bible. I don't say that, I'm nicer. But I'm like, you, you just haven't opened your Bible, like not one time. People want me to be like a Christian Google. Hey Thomas, what do you think God thinks about? And what they really, I'm like, why don't you just ask him? Oh, well, I'll just go ask somebody else. Yeah, well, your sense of fashion comes from what people think. You want a timeless sense of fashion? You, you open up this book and you eat it. And if you're like, I don't know where to start, just start. Start. 
First page is good. Second page is good. The 1185th page is good. Start in Romans, start in John. You can Google that one, where do I start? I'll tell you where to start. Like that's an answer I wanna give you. Where to start? Some of you, some of you, and I, I am a fan of Christian counseling, but some of you think your, your Christian counselors are the Holy Spirit and the Bible. You're not letting the word of Christ dwell in you, you're letting your counselor dwell in you. The Holy Spirit is the counselor. He's the one that illuminates this book. Do you, do you, if you really want a timeless sense of fashion and you wanna know how to respond to situations that you're like, I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to do that, I don't know how to, like, it's probably in here. And that's how you put on Christ. I can keep going on that one, but the blood pressure would get up and we'll stop. Okay. The question for the last one, this, this is a good one. The question of how do I pull off this garment? If you've ever been fitted for something, I just took a jacket last week, a sports coat, um, to the tailor, and I was like, the armholes need to get loosened, the sleeves need to get lengthened, and just do a couple of things. And so the man like magically writes with chalk on there, and I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. But then when I get him back, I'm like, that thing fits great. He's just like three three lines of chalk, and I'm like, I don't know what the code that is, but he knows. And so. But then when you try something on, sometimes they're like the, the, the people that are helping you pull off the garment, they're a little bit pushy. Like they grab your shoulders and they push your back and they're like, stand up. You're like, I am now. And they're like, if you slouch with this, it's gonna look terrible. And they're like, and you should fasten this button. And so you fasten the button and you do all this stuff. And you know what? They're the ones that are helping you pull off the deal. Some of you girls that learn to walk in heels, somebody helped you learn to pull that off. Somebody was like, she go kill herself, don't give her stairs right now, but like she'll be fine eventually. And so like somebody taught you how to pull off heels. People have been teaching you how to pull off fashion for a long time. And there's always a trend that comes about and you're like, you wearing those? I'm wearing those. All right, cool. How'd you do it? And like you have these little side conversations about how to pull it off. This is where the body of Christ comes in. First, is an audience of one. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Second is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then third is where we come in. And the third part in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Look, the third tier is we help each other keep the clothes on. We help each other learn to walk in the heels. We help each other put on Christ and keep him on. We do that in community. But so many Christians go to the first one and they're like, I just want to please Jesus. And they go to the second one and I want, the, I want to do this all in community and I want everybody to help me. And they skip the middle one. I'm back in that middle one again. They skip the middle one. Because that's the heavy lifting. The heavy lifting is you communing with the one who died on the cross, undoing the curse of Adam that we might be clothed in his righteousness and salvation. 
So who are you dressing for? Who, where does your sense of what's appropriate and what's not come from? And who's gonna help you pull this off? I think that linen at the cross is a beautiful reminder. If we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, then we can put on Christ and he left us that little image of one day you'll be clothed in this and it won't take the effort and you won't have to try and it won't be hard to be a Christian. But in the meantime, I'm not gonna leave behind my priestly robe. I'm gonna leave behind my burial garments because for you to do this, you gotta come and die. You can't do this and live too. I wanna pray for us. As we pray and the worship team comes up, something tonight might have triggered a moment where you're like, I would really love to talk with somebody. I'd love for somebody to pray for me. We've got a prayer team in the back of the room on both sides. One of our elders, Robert's back there. Robert's the really, really tall guy. He's an awesome guy. Robert's back there. We've got a bunch of young adults. We'd love to just spend a minute and just pray for you in regard to putting on Christ and putting off the old self as a way of saying, thank you, Jesus. Father, again, I ask that the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts and we would be thankful that we only dress for an audience of one. And Lord, that the word of Christ would dwell richly in us. Give us a hunger to spend that time with you. And Lord, that we would admonish one another with hymns and psalms and spiritual hymns and that we would really challenge each other to keep Christ on and put the old self off. All as a way of saying thank you for what you've already done. And I thank you that when we fail, your grace is more than enough. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way you lead and guide us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Will you stand as we sing together?